Hello, and welcome to another episode of Under the Radar SFF Books Podcast. My name is Blaze. Thank you so much for joining me wherever you may be listening around the world. If you like the content I create, please like, subscribe, share, leave a comment. It helps me grow as a content creator. And it's time for another author interview. I'm pleased to be joined by Mike Shackle. Mike is the author of The Last War Trilogy, Grim Dark Fantasy at that, and it's one of the best ones you can find on the market today. Mike, thank you so much for joining me and welcome. Real pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me along. And before we get started, I'd just like to say congratulations on completing your trilogy with the <laughs> final volume um, until the last, which is due out in July 2022. You must have a big weight lifted off your shoulders with the completion of this. Uh, yes, to, to put it mildly, it, it's it's really funny. The, pr- the pressure with each book gets worse because you, you write the first one and you're just really writing for yourself and you're hoping it'll get picked up and published and maybe people will like it. And then you achieve that. And then the, the mountain for the next one gets bigger because you, you want to prove to your publishers they made a, the right decision in taking you on and you want to keep everyone entertained. And I was very wary of that middle book syndrome that a, a lot of trilogies have where not a lot happens. And, and then when it came to the final one, it was it just felt I had the weight of the world on my shoulders. And, and writing it during the pandemic when the world was going falling apart around us, going into a very dark place to write a dark story, I actually really struggled with for quite a few months before my deadline forced me to get over it and get on with it. Well, I can safely say from reading book two, it does not have the middle book syndrome. <laughs> if anything, you throw a monkey wrench to the whole thing half about halfway through, and it's just it's just fantastic. But no spoilers on this podcast. We're only going to be talking about uh, basic characters and plot progressions here, so no worries about that. Would you say that the final volume was the your hardest one? And what would you say, looking back on writing your three books in this trilogy, what what did you learn as an um, as an author? Um, I, I, it was definitely the hardest. I, I think it's my best book. So I, I hope I'm getting better with each one. There were things, you know, the, the third book, without spoiling anything, it is the big fight back. You know, it was a, a invasion to reclaim the country. And there was a map I drew for book one, which I just drew without any real care because I thought it looked cool. But then when you're planning a, a, an invasion, suddenly the map became everything, you know, and I had to work out distances between cities and how people could do, you know, get from one place to another and what could happen. I, and that just became this awful nightmare trying to navigate around. And I kind of wish I thought about things a bit better in the beginning when I was drawing it all out. Yeah. Um, looking at the map right now for for book two, it obviously the world is a, a lot bigger, but yeah, the invasion part of it is definitely one that you want to keep track of. Okay, so let's just dive right into it with book one titled We Are the Dead, which is grimdark in its nature. And you take the angle of not like a war is building up and invasions happen and the the bad guys have won and they've conquered the kingdom and they take over, uh, you know, the politics, they enforce their religion on the citizens and it's a struggle and it's fear on every single turn. What were your influences for this type of story? And did you always want to write uh, such a grim plot for this? Um, I didn't actually think I was writing a grim, dark book um, when I was writing it. I, I, and I, I think I'd read a lot of fancy books, which were all 
you know, even going back to the Lord of the Rings, it ends with um, Sauron being stopped by Aragorn and all the forces. And it was always the big bad coming to take over and being stopped by plucky heroes. And uh, I just started thinking about what would happen if all the heroes died and the bad guy won. What would be life like? You know, what would life be like for the hobbits under Sauron afterwards? And, I, and it probably wouldn't be a very nice place. So, so that's what got me thinking. And then when I had this scenario, I then started thinking about what kind of characters would be exciting and interesting to read about. And Tinstra, the main hero, in the first couple of chapters I tried writing was very much a, she was a shulker warrior and she was wisecracking and she was everything a hero should be. And she was just really boring to write about, you know, because again, it just felt like I'd seen those characters before. And then I kept thinking about what would I be like in that situation. And I know we all would like to believe we would be heroes, but I think there'd be a big part of me that would just be hiding in a cupboard, hoping <laughs> everyone would march past. And then the moment I started thinking about that, I thought, wow, a coward in this very extreme situation. Um, it just felt like that ultimate tension, really. And, and even with the bad guy with Darius, who... who you know, he's one of the emperor's chosen. He has a special power. I actually thought about what would be the nicest superpower anyone could have, right? And the ability to heal wounds and cure sickness would be fantastic. <laughs> but if you put that power in the hands of a psychopath, you know, and again, suddenly you've got these really interesting scenarios opening up, which made it really fun to, draw, to, to write. Yeah, no spoilers, but Darius is a definitely an interesting character to read. And some of the more grim scenes, I would say, at least in <laughs> We Are we are the Dead. Uh, no spoilers for anything, I promise you. But um, yeah, it definitely made me queasy one a few well, times. Well, there's one scene where when I originally wrote it, it, it was very much uh, you walk in, fade to dark, and then you come out afterwards after all the ghastliness has happened. Um, my editor at Glance was like, you really need to lean into this. You need to make this bad and make people really feel this. And, and the stuff I had to Google, you know, <laughs> or, or, or look up, you know, what a meat cleaver could do and, you know, and things like that. You know, I'm, I'm surprised I didn't get any knocks on the door. Yeah, that particular scene, I, I didn't read the first book. I listened to the audiobook, and the, the narrator did a fantastic job. I was actually driving into work, and I was listening to it. I was like, oh, I almost pulled off the road. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I seriously almost did. It was just job well done with that. And, just, yeah. uh, and the rest of your work is just as grim. Not every single scene, but yeah, it'll definitely make you read me once I, or twice. I, I wanted it to feel authors. I wanted it to feel real, and yet I've got someone flying shooting lightning bolts out of their hands. So, um, you know, I wanted it to feel real and people could relate to it, um, but still keep that element of hope running through all the books. You know, at the end of the day, there's a, a line that I wrote in the third book that I'm really proud of, which is, as long as there's air in our lungs, there's hope in our hearts. And, I, and, and that really, to me, is the spirit of the whole book, right? You get put through these awful things, but there's still a chance as long as you're breathing to, to win in the end. That's an amazing, uh, amazing line to put into your final book. And I can't wait to read it myself. Um, why don't we take a, a step back to how your writing career actually began? What was the aha moment that made you feel like, oh, I wanted to write, be a writer and write a story and share it with the world? How did it all begin? 
Um, you know, I've obviously loved books all my life, and I've been a, a very voracious reader all, all my life. But I, when I was a, a kid, I wanted to be a comic book artist. Oh, lovely! You know, so I, I was super into the X Men and Teen Titans and things like that. And 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 growing up, being creative wasn't very encouraged my school by anyone. And you know, it's like people like you don't do creative things. You need to get a job in business and all that kind of stuff. So I was very aimless when I was younger. I'm very jealous of people that know what they want to do from day one. And I bounced around and sold washing machines and cooked for the Queen of England and everything else. And um, I went to Hong Kong and ended up working in advertising as a designer. So I was very, I was always art based, you know, I was always thinking in pictures. But then I, I just remember I kept thinking about there was a character that was in my head and I'd think about his adventures just before I'd fall asleep. It was very much a little movie in my mind and, and then I'd fall asleep. And, and then I started to think, well, you know, maybe I could write um, about his adventures. And uh, I, I remember writing down like the, the story beats from Star Wars and from The Matrix that classic hero's journey, trying to work out how to actually then tell a story about my character. But I, I then didn't really do too much about it. It was just something that I amused myself with um, until someone I knew wrote a book and they kept sending it to me to read. And it, it wasn't great. And I was probably complaining about it to my girlfriend, who's now my wife. And she said, well, at least they've written a book, right? Uh, uh, which is more than you've done. <laughs> You know, like real, oh, ouch, thank you. And I said, well, you know, I, I would like to, but I'm really busy. I don't have any time. And she said, well, you don't want to do it then. And I'm like, what? And she said, well, you can find time. You can always find time if you want to do it. A little reverse psychology. Well, no, well, no, 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 there was no, it was punch in the face. All you right. know, sort yourself out. <laughs> um, advice. Um, and then I started thinking about, well, after 10 o'clock, all I do is watch bad TV. Right. In those days, it was, you know, DVDs and movies and now it'd be Netflix. And I thought, well, if I go to bed at 10, I can get up at five and I can have two hours to write and see if I can do it. And I just really enjoyed the process. And my first book took me probably two and a half years to write. I got three quarters of the way through and realized I didn't have any female characters in it. And, you know, it's just stupid stuff like that. But you've got to learn how to do your craft. And then um, I'd written three, and I'd sent that off to agents and got really nice rejections. The next book I wrote got nice rejections, and I actually had an agent take me on. But then they went off to do something else, and I got dropped and was left floating um, in the distance by them. So that, that, that was a knockback. And then the third book, again, I got nice rejections. And, that, and there was this thought, this thought in my mind that I'd never get good enough, that I'd plateaued and I'd be at nice rejection stage and writing does take up a huge amount of your time uh, and I was thinking about giving it up and I, I heard a podcast called the bestseller experiment um, and they interviewed Joe Abercrombie and I, I remember looking it up and I was really annoyed that I had to listen to it because in those days I just didn't listen to podcasts um, so I downloaded the software listened to it and he, he came out with this line and he said that the longer you dance naked in the rain, the better the chance of being hit by lightning, which is just such a perfect Abercrombie quote, right? You know, and, um, and I thought he's right. You know, it's like he was speaking to me. 
And I thought the only thing I can do is guarantee that I'll never be published by giving up. But if I carry on writing, I'll have a chance and I can get better. And, and I had to remind myself that I wrote for fun. And anything that happened after that point would be um, a bonus. So I, I remember writing this list down. It was like, you know, what am I into? I was like in samurai. I like katanas. You know, I like demons. You know, it was really this kind of wish fulfillment. And I wrote this scene about skull-faced warriors kicking in a door. Um, and, and again, that got me thinking about who those people are and what are they doing there? Um, and then everything steamrolled from there. And the, the book, I read a few books on the Nazi occupation of France and what that was like and the resistance um, and fused that together with a lot of samurai and Chinese culture. And We Are the Dead came out of it. So it was a culmination of all your work with previous entries and pushing it all to the forefront into one. That's just, mm. that's just fantastic. Well, I, I, think, I think the trouble with <clears throat> writing is everyone thinks they can do it in a way. It's, there's no way you would pick up the piano and expect to be able to do a concert after a couple of months practice. You know, you need to write those books that maybe no one will ever read just to get your skill up and, and understand how a story works and what characters are like and, you know, my, my first book, I'd probably take about 20 minutes just explaining the premise to it. Mm -hmm. You know, it was really, and I think Epic Fantasy falls into this trap a lot where you can get really lost in the world building and you're creating this universe. And the line for We Are the Dead was, you know, the bad guys are one, all the heroes are dead. What are you going to do about it? And that was there from the beginning. And that was the theme. And that was all I ever told anyone when I was trying to sell it. And everyone went, I want to read that book, right? And, and I found the simpler that book is, the stronger the book is. You know, we, we can hide it with all this noise and world building and stuff, but you need that really simple hook that tells you what's happening. Yeah, and speaking of simple hook, I'm holding the, A Fool's Hope right now, that's just book two. And the line that you give is, not all wars can be won. So that in and of itself is enough <laughs> to pick up the book. Obviously, you would have to read book one, but... You get the point. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really good uh, one-liner. Yeah. Well, the, the, the line on book three is no surrender. Yeah, there you go. You know, uh, and that goes for both sides. So, um, you know, it, it's... And again, writing it, because I want it for real, I, it, you know, from book one onwards, no one is safe. Yeah. You know, I didn't play favourites with anyone. If their tale ended up with them dying, that that's what happened, because I, I wanted to stay true to it. You know, you could be the most amazing warrior but it's that random sword swing that gets you or a falling bomb or, or whatever it is yeah and the concept of nobody is safe we've all known it too well reading a game of thrones and it's now it's now cemented basically in like epic fantasy and even grimdark that's what you that's what i expect at least going into a series like this it's the fear of you go you grow attached to certain characters you don't know what they're going to go through and the fear that they're not safe, it just builds the tension. It just raises the expectations of what it's going to be. And you just do a fabulous job of that. So you were saying you were going through the, your agents and you're getting rejection letters. Mm -hmm. So you went the traditional publishing route. Was there any ever a thought in your mind to go down the self-publishing route? Because that's really kicked off in the past 15, 20 years. So do you know about my alter ego? Um, I don't believe so, no. Okay, so... Uh, I'd written We Are the Dead. I 
sent it off to the, the, the man that used to be my agent because we'd stayed friends and, you know, one of our email exchanges, I, I told him the hook and he was like, I have to read it. And he'd started agenting again. Um, so I'd sent it to him. And while we were working on it together, I, again, I heard another podcast where a self-published author was talking about what he did and, and particularly how much money he made. You know, you know, when he, what? You know, mm-hmm. this is serious cash. And then I, I started looking up um, some self-published fancy authors. And I had, again, this crazy preconception that self-publishing was for bad books, right? For people that couldn't get published and, and all this kind of elitist nonsense. Uh, and then, I, you know, I read the Ben Galleys of this world and the Rob J. Hayes and Dirk and the Paternus books and things like that. And I discovered the self-publishing fancy blog off. And they were amazing books. And if somebody reads as much as me, they're, they're also a great price to get into. You know, you can right. really feed the addiction. And I thought, wow, th- this is something good. So um, I had these three previous books that I'd written. Um, so uh, I decided to self-publish them. But because I had interest in We Are The Dead, I didn't want to um, besmirch my name in case they were rubbish. You know, I, I thought this would be the, the most awful thing I could do. So I, I used my mother's maiden name so, and I, I self-published under this name, Mike Morris. And, and the first book I released was a science fiction novel and it didn't do very well. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll give it the fancy a go because really that's what I'm interested in. So the, the first book was called Cry Havoc. And I, I spent a bit of time rewriting it and you know, making it much better than what it was. And I, I released it and it took off. Like, I have no idea why, how, you know, but someone looked down on me and people picked it up. And it was a, a, a great coming of age story about a, a young lad who ends up fighting vampires and things like that. Um, and it, it just sold and sold. And, and it started off at 99 cents and I put the price up and it carried on selling. I put the price up again, it carried on selling. And it ended up going top five in UK and US. And I think it went to number one in Australia. And, you know, it, it sold lots. So, so then suddenly I'm like, okay, well, I've got a, another book that I can, you know, release. So I, again, I tidied that up and released that. And that did the same. So suddenly I had this very successful self-publishing alter ego. Uh, and he, he's still putting out books, you know, and... and you know, there are a couple of new ones out at the moment. Um, uh, and the plan is to really alternate between Mike Shackle books and Mike Morris books as we go forward. Well, that's fantastic. I've actually, I've heard of Cry Havoc. I've always seen it. I just never. Um... It's, it's an amazing book. Everyone should buy it. Well, now that, now that, you, <laughs> now that you mention it, I'm going to go after, after recording and I'm going to buy it. So yeah. I had absolutely no idea. It's amazing yeah. what little surprises you can find. And I sound schizophrenic talking about different identities, but in many ways I see the Mike Shackle books being like the, the big epic movies. Like you, you're going to go see June, it's three hours long and there's a real heavy experience, but there's, there's part of you that really enjoys on a Friday night sitting down and watching The Mandalorian for an hour. And that to me is, is where I kind of want self-publishing books to be, you know, where you, you get the action, you get the magic, you have a fun adventure, uh, you know, but it, they're, they're shorter and sharper and, and it's meant to be that kind of more 
um, disposable kind of entertainment. And you mentioned the self-publishing contests that are out, out yeah. there. What are you currently reading uh, at the moment on self-published? Because I'm, I'm always digesting more and more. Uh, so I've just downloaded Rob Hayes' uh, Martial Arts Trilogy, the box set, the Never Die, and I can't remember the names of the other ones. There's a, Spirits of Vengeance is the, that, is the final. That's right, which, which, to be honest, look amazing. And I don't know why it's taken me so long to read, because I love my Kung Fu and Martial Arts. It's an amazing um, series. Yeah, I'm re- I've also got Rise of the Ranger by Philip uh, Quantrell, which is a, a very popular series. And I've read the first two books in the Cradle series by Will Will Wright, I want to say. Will White, yep. So um, again, again there, there, there's so <laughs> many good books out there at the moment. It's, it's such an exciting time. Yeah, it's almost impossible to keep up because every it seems like every week there's a new book coming coming out, and me being uh, under the radar, I'm, and I enjoy finding these like little little gems in in the desert to try to try to bring to light. But it's challenging, and it's also not the, not the cheapest thing in the world going scavenging the internet for these. But uh, and, and and that's uh, that's the challenge for it doesn't matter if you're trad published or you're um, self published is just getting people to know about your book and discovering it is the biggest challenge for all of us, really. Exactly. I just wanted to quickly talk about two of your characters in your, in your books uh, that I particularly love. Obviously the first one we touched on is Tinstra, who she's supposed to be the, the warrior. She's supposed to be defending the wall from the invaders, but she doesn't want to do it to the disappointment of her father and her family. She's kind of like, I don't want to say like a samurai like loses her honor in the process. And then she has to deal with the repercussions from that. And the other one is Dren. I just love Dren's, um, <laughs> Dren's storyline and what he goes through. Can you just talk about how you came up with these characters? I wish I was better at planning books because I'd, I'd save myself an awful lot of rewriting and things like that. And sometimes um, characters just appear in your mind fully formed, but Tinster was much a, work in progress as i said earlier i was trying to write a typical hero and that was boring so making her a coward obviously excited me and then because i had a coward again i kept darius is in many ways her complete opposite because he's just cruel and vicious but drena also acts as a balance because he just doesn't give up about anything right he's he's a typical he's 16 years old he's full of anger he thinks he's invincible and he's just lashing out at the world. And, and so Tinsha is this very tightly coiled, repressed person. And then Dren is just this monster, you know, but uh, hopefully an understandable one because he's, he's been through this traumatic experience. He's lost any kind of mentorship or guidance from anyone. Um, and he's, he's charming and people follow him, you know, because he, he does stuff. Um, and and they they just real pleasures to write about. Yeah, those two were my favorite characters, definitely of We Are the Dead. Obviously, you write many more characters, but not getting into any of the spoiler stuff here. So the the plot is, as we always talk about, there's an invasion force, they conquer the, the land, and they're enforcing their, um, their rule on the people in terms of, um, I don't know if slavery is the correct term, but it's like indentured servitude. There's always... The, the religious take over, they, they have to submit to this type of uh, religion and ruling this, these gods, and it's really dark. And also, there's a lot of torture <laughs> in this. Um, forming up all the, the aspects of the invading army, how did you come up with those 
different aspects and, and putting it into this story. And obviously uh, that was just the, the seed to building a resistance, which obviously happens in We Are the Dead and continues throughout the series. Well, and again, I, I, w- I wish I was a better planner. And, <laughs> you know, I was chatting to Justin Cole, who wrote uh, Master of Sorrows. Um, I think his book's called, you know, and he's an amazing author and his world building is incredible. But he sent, spent 10 years working out every aspect of this world. Uh, and I just haven't got the brain that can cope with doing things like that. I'm very much, uh, I'm driving down a road and I can see so much with the headlights and sometimes you put it on full beam and you see a bit more. So there was a lot of going back and dropping things into um, the book, you know, just to balance it out as new ideas appear. And the the, the first chapter I actually wrote where I, I, it felt like it was working was there was a scene where Tinster is trying to buy bread um, and she hasn't got enough money. And, and then there's this big attack that happens on the street. And that was the first chapter of the book. And it was only after I'd sent it off to the agent. Um, and he said, well, we kind of need to see the before the invasion as well. So that's where those opening chapters came from. So that came very late in the day. And, and then there, there's a scene in before she buys bread where she's in church and she's in the the agrill church and listening about their god and i actually wrote that for book two for a different character and and then as i was writing i was like actually this is a brilliant way to introduce the religion and make it much more of a powerful thing so there there was there was a lot of going back and making myself look a lot cleverer than I was as you're putting this together but it, it you know it's like painting in many ways you put the undercoat down and you start fleshing out different areas and you sit back and you look at what's missing and where are the gaps and how can you make this more acute you know and then listening to the ideas that my agent had my editor had to make things more powerful and, and more impactful and just looking at the cover for I'm holding up book two uh, the cover art is just amazing. And obviously book one is yeah. kind of like a Shogun warrior. Did you have all of these images in your head before before writing the series or with each book? And you could just talk about um, their cover design. It's by, was it Tomas Almeida? Yeah, uh, he, he uh, he's the in-house designer at Galantz. He, he's amazing. You know, I think I'm a pain in the neck sometimes. So, I, you know, in my other job, I'm a creative director, so I'm a very opinionated person. You know, I look at photographs, I look at art. I've always got an idea on how I can make it better, so I, I appreciate I'm probably quite difficult. But Glance have been brilliant to work with over all this. And, and yeah, I mean, I drew out all the characters. I have sketchbooks of Tinster and the Skull Soldiers and Asgard and all, everyone. I, I had sketches before... I started writing them because it, it just helps me get a better feel for that world that they could be living in. Um, and then I, I supplied all those kind of sketches to Glance for inspiration and they come back to something that's a million times better. <laughs> a writer slash artist. Those are, uh, those are a dime a dozen nowadays. It's really, <laughs> really amazing. But there's a difference between writing your word, put it on paper and actually drawing something. And one um, one author who I actually interviewed, Jenny Wirtz, she does her own internal um, art and the covers as well. And it's just a different part of your brain that's operating. And it's actually interesting. So it's always uh, nice to talk to um, artists that way, as well as authors. Yeah, I mean, I, the way I say it, it's, I need to have something that's creative that isn't connected 
to anything where I can just switch off my brain and relax. Um, So drawing for me is, is very much um, that kind of bit of fun. And then I start doing doodles in books for people, you know, just to try and when they get a book from me, it's going to feel a bit more special and just, you know, here's my signature in it. So um, I do do enjoy it, but I I don't think um, I'm not a flowery writer. You know, I'm, I'm, I I think there are two types of writing. There's invisible writing where you're just taken along by a story and you almost don't notice the words. And then there's very visible writing where the half the pleasure is actually just reading the sentence construction and and the almost poetic nature to it. There was a book I read recently, uh, JT, terrible names, JT Greenhouse, I think. Yeah, the the, hand of the the sun. Which which is just the most, you know, he could write, I think he did write 200 pages just on calligraphy, you know, but he's a a poet at heart and the way he tells the story is the words are 90% of what's going on. Whereas I want my books, I want people to almost forget they're reading a book and just be propelled by the story um, at quite a pace as well. You know, it, it, there's not much breathing space in, in my books. And, and that to me is, is my ambition as a writer is to be invisible and just let the story carry you along. And it does. The story definitely carries you, especially, especially book two. And it carries you in places you never thought it was going to go. So you have that to look <laughs> oh, <yeah>. forward to. <laughs> well, it, it, it's really funny. There's a, there's a twist in book one that a few people have said, oh, it's really obvious. I guessed that was what was going to happen. And, and the thing is, you were supposed to guess that. You, it, it really sums up Tinstra's character that she believes such a bit of hope. Um, without spoiling it you know she's told something and she believes it with all her heart but everyone is supposed to know that she's a fool and she's doing it because she's in this very lost place but whereas in in book two the the twist in that you know no one has said to me I saw that coming it's impossible I don't know how they were to guess that and 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 it's really funny because I I do pantser stuff and I, there's one chapter when a character appears, you know, Tinstra turns a corner and literally bumps into them. And until I wrote that, I didn't know that character was going to exist in that story. And, and that to me is, again, part of the magic of writing. I love being lost in the world and being as surprised as I hope other readers are by what, what's happening. You're like, oh, wow, you know, <laughs> where did that idea come from? And, and then I have to deal with the consequences of that. Yeah, and like I said, uh, listening, I listened to book one audio, and I listened to book two, and as soon as I finished, I'm like, did I listen to that correctly? I had to re-listen to that whole chapter. I'm like, I thought I missed something, but <laughs> it was, yeah, it just threw me for a loop. But um, that's just the power of you as an author. It's just, yeah. it's just fantastic. I, I, I love the audio book, so I, it's the closest closest I can get to enjoying my own stories. Because when, when I pick up a, a book, I, I just see the words and I just think I could have written it better. Um, but when I, whereas I listen to the audio book, I can just enjoy the story. And the narrator, Nicola, is so amazing in how she does it anyway. I, I, I feel bad about making her swear so much. but uh... <laughs> And it completely, um, yeah, it takes the story to uh, another level, just putting putting a voice to yeah. the, char- the characters. I That's why I always enjoy 
audiobooks. I can listen to it in my spare time, just even driving or going on a on a walk. That's just the power of of what audiobooks can do for you. Uh, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a pain as well because there's a a character who literally appears for the first time on the last page of We Are the Dead, and I, I made up the name, and it was a real throwaway character. You know, it was I needed a body, and I gave them a name. And they became a major character in book two. You know, they'd become a point of view character and everything like that. And, and poor Nicola, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know they were going to be a, a main character. So she, you know, she just gave him a voice that kind of doesn't sit right with everyone else. But she had to stick with what she had established in book one. And, you know, that was part of me like, I'm really sorry, you know. <laughs> I know I'm making your life hard, but she does a brilliant, brilliant job. Yeah, that's really, that's really funny. And now that you're thinking about it, yeah, um, that's absolutely correct. I got to go back and re-listen to those. So your trilogy's done. Congrats, congratulations on that. Do you have any ideas or anything down the pike that you're thinking about, either from your name, Mike Shackle, or your alter ego, so you're say Mike Morris? Um, well, Mike Morris has actually written a couple of books since uh, I finished um, Until the Last, and they're both out now. So you, you can check out Mike Morris and the Cursed Sword saga if you want to do that as well. Um, but no, I, I'm writing the next big Mike Shackle book at the moment. And it, it's really funny that there's a, a character that appeared in my brain towards the end of writing We Are the Dead. And I... I and when you write, there's always this danger where an, another story will come along and go, look at me, I'm more interesting than the one you're writing. And I was three quarters of the way through We Are the Dead. And I actually thought about abandoning this book to go and write this other character because I was so excited by them. And I had to force myself to carry on and finish. But they've been kicking around now for four years, demanding their story be told. So uh, I'm working on on that at the moment. Again, it's, uh, you know, I've picked a period of French history and, you know, thrown in a bit of swords and magic. Um, and I'm, again, I'm quite excited by how it's, how it's coming along. Can't wait to read that when it's, when it's ready. Uh, so Lily, this has been a lovely interview. I think we'll uh, wrap up. Why don't you tell the uh, audience where they can find you, Mike, on Twitter, social media, your uh, your web your website, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Mike Shackle, rather imaginatively. I'm on Facebook at uh, Mike Shackle Author, and I'm on Instagram at Mike Shackle. My website is MikeShackle.co.uk. Um, I post a lot of stuff up there um, when I remember and, and things like that. And, I love chatting to everyone and I answer every email and message that I get as well. So always feel free to drop me a note or leave a review or say hello. Yep. Please do just that and make sure to pick up The Last War. First book is We Are the Dead. Mike, thank you so much for joining me and I hope you have a lovely day. Real pleasure. Thanks very much. Take care. Cheers.